Hello and welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work work. Today, CEO and founder of WAP, Rhonda Brighton-Hall, joins us on the podcast to talk all things leadership and the tricky conversation around Australian values. I love this conversation, Lincoln. I'm very happy that we're having it. Me too. Let's jump straight in. What do you see as the current conversation around Australian identity? I think the conversation around Australian identity has some really obvious missing pieces, which we're sort of increasingly comfortable to talk about. But there's also some pieces that we don't talk about. And I think it's those two pieces together that are really important. What do you see as some of the defining values that are the pillars of an Australian identity? One of the the core pillars is the one that we're getting more comfortable talking about is that we've got an uncomfortable relationship with our history. And uh, we're only just starting to have that conversation in an honest way and as any you know psychologist will tell you if you don't understand where you came from it's very hard to decide where you're going to go because you don't really know who you are and so that conversation about history is not just something that we can be very paternal about in terms of oh yes that will help reconciliation with our first nations people but equally it will help all of us because it will be the foundation of where we've all come from and I think that that's a really important conversation. And then we've got some aspects of it. And there's this book from a few years back, about 2015, 16, called The Paradox of Australian Leadership. And I think it's a really good summary of why leadership in this country is hard. And so I think the first one is that we actually don't like leaders very much because we're all the same, like we're all equal. And so when someone actually stands up and says, look, I know where we're going, let's go, we go, who the hell are you to tell me where to go? Like, we're all equal, we need to decide together. And so we have this extreme version of egalitarianism that's built into us, even though by definition, if you wanted to measure it, we would have as much of a class system, as much of a hierarchical structure um, over generations in this country as any other country, but we don't like to admit it. So it's like, let's not talk about it, and then we're all equal, but of course, it's not fair and it's not true. The other thing is that we have a funny relationship historically with authority. The authority came from people who are settling the land. It didn't come from First Nations culture and it didn't come from any of the generations that have come to join here, usually as a result of leaving countries where they weren't in great shape. Like you don't leave Scotland to come and immigrate to Australia if everything in Scotland is rosy for you. So people come here when things aren't rosy and they look for a better life, basically. And so immigration has been a backstory to so many of us that our relationship with authority, whether you talk about the Eureka stockade, the first battle we had with the police, all through to the relationship we've had with the countries we've come from with authority, we do have a funny relationship with authority. And it sort of confronts us on that mateship egalitarianism thing that we really like. So when they come together, it's a bit tricky. And then there's this idea that we're the lucky country, that we are very fortunate, that everything is incredibly good. And so if anything is like, you say something like, well, I I think we could be better at that. They go, oh, you don't appreciate how lucky we are. Let me list off the terrible other countries that you could be in. And so rarely can we have robust conversations about the fact, look, yes, we're good. Yes, we're lucky, but we could be better. And that sort of conversation requires leadership, thoughtfulness, and we don't tend to like to have it. We sort of go, we're lucky and we should just be grateful and relax. It makes me think of the work that we do at Moi, which a lot of the time is about saying, you're in a good place, but let's get better. The world is moving, things change and develop, and we can't sit still and be complacent. We need to look for ways to improve. 
Yeah. When you think you're okay, when you think you're lucky or you're better off than most or whatever it happens to be, it does require very purposeful leadership. And, and for Australian culture, there's a real balance between don't be critical, but lead. And so that means that the really tough issues we have to face, I mean, climate change at the moment is such a classic example of this. But every time we have to confront something that's really big, it requires very strong and purposeful leadership and very robust and thoughtful conversation. And we just don't like that very much. So what's the connection there? We have a messy or sometimes non-existent conversation around Australian identity and what unifies us. How does that affect leadership? How does the lack of conversation affect actually moving forward? Well, I think it's got two elements to it. One is there's certainly a group of people who will say, well, to get elected or whatever it is, if they're in sort of political type leadership, to get elected, I have to look like I'm egalitarian. I have to look like I'm like everybody else. And so people will invent a persona about themselves that's very much, and it's actually, it's a, in a, a fantastic article in the quarterly essay this month is, or last month, it was last month. It's a fantastic article about the fact that leaders to be elected, they have to look like they're all knockabout like the rest of us. So even if they were born in the Eastern suburbs of Sydney and played rugby union their whole life, they reinvent themselves as a rugby league fan, <laughs> not from the Eastern suburbs. And, and suddenly we go, ah, oh, that's one of us. That's a, that's a knockabout guy like us. But actually that acceptance of whoever people are and the authenticity that they can bring to that leadership is fundamental to how they can actually step into that role. And yet we've got them masking up or putting a facade around them that's really quite, complex and odd it's a really funny thing that we yeah we seem to ask our leaders to be egalitarian and then expect them to step up as well you can be egalitarian without being uniform yeah in that same quarterly essay there was mention of larrikinism being an australian value Mm. do you see that as something that defines who we are well i think larrikinism is a really interesting one because it's more associated with men and as a consequence, we sort of lose half the population. And so in our potential leader pool or whatever you want to call it, you know, the blokiness of that larrikinism is a real old-fashioned sort of view. And there are probably many people, many men included, who can be great leaders that probably don't possess that. Even though that sense of humour, having lived overseas, I've lived in, in Asia, in Europe and in America, that's self-depreciation. The only other country I found it in was in the Netherlands and they do it too. So if they like you, they insult you and then you know you're sort of home. <laughs> um, whereas in America, if you like, they get quite worried. If, you, if two people are insulting you, so they're like, oh, are you okay? And you're like, oh yeah, this is how we treat our friends. So I think self-depreciation is part of that larrikinism. And I think it's actually quite good fun. I think it keeps us grounded. I mean, there was a great quote from Andrew Pridham in his recent book, um, a couple of weeks ago, and he, he talked about you take business very seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. And I thought that's Australian humour, that's Australian self-depreciation, that's humility, but it isn't goofiness. Like you don't want that larrikinism to be wacky. Yeah, in the same way that if you love rugby league, go for your life. There's nothing yeah, wrong life. with any of these things. It's when we aren't necessarily authentic that the problem's going to arise. Yeah, and, and everyone who gets to be a leader doesn't need to drink beer at the football, any code. Um, it's You can not drink beer, you cannot follow football, and you can still be a leader. Like it's a whole bunch of things that don't necessarily define 
who we want to lead the country as we deal through these really difficult issues. And I'm not just talking also about politics, which, I, as you know, I'm very apolitical in terms of parties and things like that, but also about business leadership and about not-for-profit leadership and charity leadership and social leadership, public service leadership. I mean, we've got a plethora of really, really good leaders, but we haven't really drawn a thread together to say, what is it about Australian culture that actually connects all these people as opposed to these old-fashioned sort of ways of looking at us. So that's my question for you, is what do you see in your experiences in business as some of the core values that really set a business up right, that set up a culture right, that support leaders and the people in the teams? What do you think the conversation could be? The pieces of Australian identity, which are really strong. Like I was constantly, when I lived in America, constantly complimented on the fact that when a waiter delivered my food or someone brought me a coffee, that I would turn around, say thank you and stare them in the eye. And they go, oh, that's so lovely of you. And I'm like, no, there are 25 million people who do that where I come from. Like, that's what we do. So there's a degree of humility, of gratitude, of connection. I think that is very much part of Australian culture, which I think is something we can absolutely be proud of. And when you see really good leaders and organisations, they do do that. They're listening for people. They're respectful of people. They've got a humility about their own role. They're not constantly being bombastic about their fabulousness. They're actually listening and hearing other people's views. I think that is the backbone of great culture is to listen for other people because you're not creating your own stage to talk about your career again or something because you know you do see that when when I was living overseas I saw a lot of that you know let me tell you about my career what you're actually doing as a leader is creating an environment where others can thrive and so it isn't really about you it's about your impact on others about the space you create for them it's about bringing in the elements that give them confidence to step up and be the best they can be and that's a very different role than most people would describe leadership as that kind of humility, that kind of connection with people and a looking eye to eye with people is obviously fundamental. How do leaders then manoeuvre that so that they can also step out when they need to step out? What you see as leaders, when they take the stage for something joyful, a celebration, uh, hasn't this gone well, their role is subservient. It's almost like, I want to applaud this person for doing great work. I want to appreciate what they've achieved or the team. We're all in this together. It's been great being part of this. But when there's tough news, these tough decisions, these tough topics, that's when you see really good leaders. They take the stage on their own and they'll say, this is what's gone wrong. And as the leader, I'm accountable for it on my watch. And this is what I've done. And this is why it happened. And this is how I fixed it. And that absolute accountability. Or to take the stage and say, look, we have to have a conversation on X. And it's going to be very uncomfortable. But my job as the leader is to make us have it anyway. And so I've given some deep thought on both sides of why this is uncomfortable. Here's where I'm landing. And here's what I'm putting forward. So you're putting forward solutions, pathways forward, whatever you want to call it, that not necessarily popular but at least get people thinking and bring them back to the table. So you're sort of saying, okay, I was just going to dig a trench and stay over here and disagree forever. But to be a great leader in that space for a tough conversation, you've got to say, I'm going to create a space where I expect everybody to come back because we can't just say, I'm over here, you're over there, good luck. We do need to find a path forward and it is going to mean compromise and it is going to need new ideas and it is going to need someone to be brave, to be unpopular. Courage 
is a value that we could definitely benefit from being at the fore more. Yeah, and I think it's one we're very proud of. So I think when we have this national conversation about identity, we should be talking about those issues and those elements in our culture that we are most proud of. And so we, we seem to be very proud of things like the courage of a battlefield or the courage of a sports person out the front and leading courageously with their body on the line. But we could also talk about the courage to have these conversations in ways that will take the country forward. And when we see it, we get really excited and we go, okay, that's, that's actually pretty cool leadership. I might follow that. You know, I might listen to that. That's a different view that I haven't heard before. I haven't held and I'm open to it. And I think that when we see those sorts of leaders, we gravitate towards them. So if we could have that conversation around what is courage, because it doesn't need to be just a conversation about football or battlegrounds or things like that. It can be the courage to tackle science on climate change. I mean, that's hugely courageous. It can be Craig Foster's current work in refugees. I mean, he's a soccer player, a very admirable one, but equally he stands up now for refugees and we go, actually, that's pretty cool. Like that's really stepping up when it's not an easy conversation to have. Courage is almost by definition about stepping into a space where you don't have the answers, where you don't know, and yet you step into it and move forward anyway. Yeah, and that element of putting your body on the line, but equally giving something yourself, that authenticity. I, th I thought when the marriage equality debate went through, everybody looked at Penny Wong to see her response to that because it wasn't the response of a politician, although she obviously is a politician. It was a response of someone where this was deeply personal. It was incredibly inspiring to see a person who I mean she could have not been in that room she could have just gone to her house and shut the door we would never have known what her response was but she stood in a public place and people saw her response which is deeply personal which I thought was incredibly courageous because she's always been a person who's quite private with her private life. So in today's conversation where might you like to land? I think what I'd like to articulate for leaders if you've chosen and someone's come up to you, I always say this to people when they say, they've done a good job. Someone says, congratulations, here's a bigger job. And you take the jumper and you play that piece. And then someone comes up and says, that's better. You get another turn. Here's an even bigger jumper. You get to play again. And people take it. So by the time you're sitting at the top of anything, a company, a not-for-profit, a political position, a football team, whatever it is, netball team, whatever, you've already said yes to stepping up a number of times. So in that saying yes, as an Australian leader, you have to also understand that with that power that you've accepted also comes an accountability and a responsibility to others. It isn't about you. It's about you've stepped up and said, I'm happy to lead other people. Now do it. And so don't say, oh, no, I'm just a knockabout one of the gang. It's like, no, four times in your career, you've already stepped up above the crowd and said, I can take the power and responsibility. I'm just asking people to take it. And I think that's what I'd love to see with leaders. If you're running a company or an organisation or space for a team, you have to step up and do something great for them and make space for them to be terrific. And that's your job. That's the one you chose. And it, it isn't sort of, a, oh, no, it's just happening. And I don't think that's too much to ask. I think that's a really simple and straightforward ask that we should expect of every leader. Rhonda, that's a great place to end today's podcast with you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's absolute pleasure. And I know that this is a tough conversation for many Australians. If we can have a conversation on our identity and our history and, and its impact on leadership and then expect our leaders to step up and play that properly, I think that will serve us all very well. Thanks again, Rhonda. And to everybody listening, thank you for tuning in. 
and we look forward to next time.